Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody. It's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. This week's episode features Michael Bumgarner. He's the founder of Kanuka. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured the entrepreneur, actress, and founder of Suzanne Organics, Suzanne Summers. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be here with Michael Bumgarner. He is the founder at Kanuka. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Excited to be here. Thanks so much, Jody, for having me. Michael, we had a really nice, um, fun, get to know you conversation. But um, before we jump into your history and what inspired you to create your brand, I want to ask what my favorite question is on the show. Um, if you channel back to your childhood when you're a little kid um, and you th- think about the future, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's tough. I've always known I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I never in a million years thought I was going to be in beauty. I thought I was going to be more in um, more in the farming space, actually. How does a little kid know they want to be an entrepreneur? That's the first time I've had that question asked to me. Uh, and I honestly don't know. I think you're just kind of born with this um, desire to create whatever that might be. And I've always had it. I've always wanted to create and build things. And why would it have been farming? Well, that's, that is my background. I grew up on a farm, a small cattle farm outside of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, there was a lot of hard work growing up. But as I got older, I really got into it and, and saw a need to uh, continue to innovate um, and ultimately create a uh, you know, sustainable farming environment. And have you done that? We're working on it. We're definitely working on it. And it's interesting because I'm now in into the beauty space. So Kanuka is a combination of cannabis and Manuka honey. And I actually got into beauty from the farming aspect. Um, cannabis, also known as hemp, uh, is, a, is a commodity in my opinion. And it was one of the first billion dollar crops in America in the 1920s and 30s. So I really saw an opportunity to uh, bring a new commodity uh, to our local community and help our small and medium-sized farmer put their land back to work for them. And that's exactly what we're doing. But to get there, we needed to kind of change that stigma, like what is cannabis? And ultimately, I wanted to create a brand to help kind of re-educate people on what cannabis really is and what it's not. It's not just the THC, the, the, the marijuana side. There's so many more uses for cannabis and industrial hemp. So I wanted to start with something that was easy for people to understand, skincare. People know what lotions, soaps, balms, et cetera, are. So we were able to really create a, uh, a really effective skincare using, you know, part of the cannabis plant, hemp seed oil and CBD. And then we combined that with Manuka honey. Uh, and I was a big believer if we can show people the benefit, you know, if I can get this on someone's skin and they can see a benefit, they'll want to learn more about what, why this is an effective product and really learn more about the cannabis plant and ultimately from there, we can change legislation and, you know, be able to cultivate it, you know, on the farming level. So let's go back in time to what it's like to grow up on a farm. Did you have like jobs on the farm as a teenager? Oh yeah. It started way before being a teenager, Jody. This was a, uh, you know, very early in my life. Um, you know, as part of the, you know, 4 age and FFA, I showed all the animals you can think of at the, at the county fair up until I was 18 and graduated high school. Um, and it was one of those things when you're growing up, you're like, this is, this isn't fun. This is a lot of work. Uh, but as I've aged and ultimately I've gotten you know, married now and we have three kids, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm gravitating back to that lifestyle. Um, 
um, you know, hopefully raising my kids on the farm and, and showing them that hard work, you know, things just don't come easy. You have to put in the effort to get to where you want to be in life. And I think farming, if you think as an entrepreneur, in my mind, the farmer, the, Amer- the American farmer and farmer in general, that, that's the true definition of, of an entrepreneur. It's a lot of risk. A lot of things are out of your control with the weather, your soil. And if you can problem solve, because that's all entrepreneurs are, we're just, pro- we want to be problem solvers. And if you can problem solve, you can, you know, and the things go right, you can have a successful crop or, you know, if you're in the cattle industry, raise a lot of cattle, et cetera. So um, I, I want to like picture like how the movie opens of Michael on the farm as a teenager. Do you wake up at like 5 a.m. to go tend to the cattle, then go to school, then come back? Is it, you know, is it what I've seen in the movies? It's pretty, it's pretty similar. Uh, I wouldn't say we had it. I was raised on a, on an Angus, a cattle, a beef farm. Uh, I would say the dairy farmers have it a little bit harder than than the Angus farmers. Uh, but again, ours was more, you know, both of my parents, they had, you know, corporate jobs. It was more of a more of a hobby farm. At one time, we maybe had 60 or 70 head of cattle, but we would still have to get up, you know, get the work done and then go to school and come back and do it again. <laughs> oh, so the cows were the side hustle for the family. That's right. That's right. Always have You always have to have a side hustle, no matter what. Right. You know, I actually think about that a lot as an entrepreneur now. Um, you know, my work is never done. Um, and I'm laughing as I'm saying that because I just so wish it would be right. Like um, right when I think like, oh, things make sense. Things feel right. It's time to innovate, reinvent, refresh. Um, and I in my head was thinking it's just a reflection of, you know, our economy and our times. But my guess is, I guess, side hustles were were around for you know way longer than our digital technology. Um time period mm-hmm. i would agree i think um ultimately i would you know I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth but I'm, I'm guessing you love what you do just like i do and when you love what you when you genuinely love what you do even in the hardest days you're, you're constantly trying to innovate and just create and solve problems um so truthfully i don't know what i would do if i didn't you know uh, work for myself and you know try to create these different brands and businesses I know my wife would probably be very upset with me all the time because I would bug the heck out of her if I wasn't as busy as I am, but uh, I genuinely like it. So let's talk about the journey to figuring out that um, cannabis is the opportunity for rural America to grow. Um, what what were the steps that led up to that light bulb moment for you? Well, it was really, a, it was a number of things. You know, I saw as I was growing less and less people in my small community of Mechanicsburg, Ohio, were able to put their land to work for them. And I didn't really understand why that was because, you know, to be successful in, you know, in agriculture, you need a lot of land or a lot of cattle or a lot of, you know, pork or lambs, et cetera. And not everyone has, has that. Um, and then as I was getting older, you know, kind of, I'll kind of take it on a downward spin right here, but as is you get into high school and in college, you start seeing people in my hometown where, ODing on drugs and getting into, into a lot of bad things. And I, I started to think, why is this? And I believe a lot of that has to do with just lack of opportunity. And when you don't have anything to do, um, you, you tend to make, you know, uh, different decisions than you would if you were extremely busy and you were constantly, you had a job and you were, you know, focused on some of the other more productive things. So it started with what could I do? What could I bring the community to help bring new opportunities to put people back to Maine. Um, you know, and then I started researching different, different things people could grow, whether that's more sustainable vegetable farming, et cetera. But ultimately industrial hemp jumped out at me as this like, wait, 
this was a billion dollar crop it you know back in the 30s this this commodity can be used for thousands of different things from textiles to supplements to food and beverage etc why why is this illegal just because part of the plant you know you can get high on the marijuana side with the thc um, so i really wanted to figure out how we could re-educate people what that is so i i really identified a number of different categories but beauty really spoke to me for a number of reasons number one there was a lot of white space at the time I was probably five or six years ago now, but five or six years ago, no one was talking cannabis and beauty. No one was talking cannabis skincare. And I thought, well, why? Because, you know, through our research, we, we know hemp seed oil in general is, is a, an amazing ingredient, not only to ingest, but topically, it really, you know, it's that perfect balance of the omegas. And it's really great for your skin. But a lot more research was starting to be done on CBD. And we really found that, you know, some people would say it's a very powerful anti-inflammatory. Now, I'll, being with Kanuka, we have to be careful about any claims that we make with saying anti-inflammation, et cetera. But what we have found is it does, and, and a lot of people help soothe and calm their skin. Um, and being that I had zero background in beauty, zero background in skincare, I really leaned on my amazing wife, Kelly, who happened to be in dermatology. Uh, I was really able to learn from her that 99% of skincare issues, it really is a form of inflammation when you get to the root cause. So we were able to very quickly start testing uh, the different uh, components of the cannabis plant, CBD, hemp seed oil, on some of our family, friends. I'm not going to say we didn't test on our kids either. And uh, we, we saw really, really good results. Um, and that was really kind of the first light bulb moment. The second light bulb moment came when I didn't just want to launch a skincare brand with one pillar of an ingredient, CBD or hemp, hemp seed. Uh, those are two different things. Uh, we needed to create a really effective product that had more than just that one, that one staple ingredient, because I was very confident once mainstream caught up that a lot of the bigger brands would just put CBD and everything. And I think we can look at today and, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, and we were having a family dinner or a family reunion or something. And my cousin, um, she was working in a burn unit in Knoxville, Tennessee. And she said she started using Manuka honey to naturally heal burn wounds. That's when that second light bulb came off. We were like, man, Manuka honey. I knew about it. I started researching it. It's a medical grade honey used in hospitals all across the world to heal burn wounds. And I really felt if, you know, if this ingredient is so good, it can heal burn wounds. What, what could it just do as a regular, regular, you know, topically used it's a natural humectant, it really holds that moisture and it's an amazing ingredient. And that's really where we came up with combining cannabis, Manuka honey, and we came up with the name Kanuka. Um, you know, came out with several, you know, initial SKUs, got it to the market to test it out. And again, I had no background in, in beauty or anything like this. So for the first year, this was my side hustle. And I would just travel the country meeting beauty experts and going in and saying, listen, I'm not trying to sell you today. Rip me apart. Tell me every single thing that's wrong with this brand, with this ingredient profile, et cetera. And I'm getting long-winded, Jody, but I, I want to finish it on this. There was one meeting I had with a buyer at the detox market and when I was out in uh, LA at one point. And I remember sitting down with her. She's like, we never do this. And I was like, well, just tell me everything that's wrong with it. And she's like, number one, no one has ever came in and just asked us, asked me for my opinion on this. She, I left with a, with a, a notebook filled with notes. I said, hey, we're onto something here. I paused sales, went back, raised some capital because I really, I really felt good about the trajectory. Uh, learned from from that meeting, made the uh, 
made the uh, changes we needed to, and then relaunched it as an elevated brand with a Kanuka that you see today. Okay, Michael, I took so many notes during this. And so I want to go back to a few things. Number one, um, you said something about hemp being grown in the 1930s. So this is a, this was an ingredient. This was a plant that we were growing in this country for a long time. And then we stopped growing. Oh, yeah. Right? Correct. Correct. It was actually the first billion dollar crop in America or one of the first billion dollar crops. And there was a lot of reasons uh, for prohibition. There was a lot of, I would say, racism around it. Uh, there was also a couple senators who owned some forestries and a cotton field and wanted the textiles to be from, you know, from their uh, endeavors. So um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, you know, going back to the more of the racism side, they created a campaign called Reefer Madness to scare a lot of people that, oh, my goodness, you know, because a lot of minorities at the time couldn't afford alcohol and things like that. So they would they would use marijuana. And they really created this marketing campaign to scare people. But ultimately, I believe it had to do more with the, um, the money behind it, getting people or getting different um, textiles off of hemp and into the forestry and uh, into the cotton fields. Um, so, yeah, so since the 1930s, it's been prohibition. And just, you know, in the past couple of decades or decade and a half, we've seen a change back to the way it should have always been. All right. Fascinating. Um, the second thing I wrote down was... Um... You alluded to it when you were talking about um, when you met Manuka Honey through your family member, but um, this idea of CBD washing, I think is what you were alluding to, like how we have greenwashing in our business. Um, it sounded like you were saying there's going to be so many brands on the market with, and they could probably have a minuscule amount of CBD, you know, and say, you know, that this is an effective product. Um, so have you seen a lot of, I guess we'll call it CBD washing? Well, to put it in perspective, in 2018 and 19, and then the start of 2020, there was over, I believe, 2,500 new CBD brands hit the market. That's unheard of. That is that is probably the definition of the greenwashing, the CBD washing. Um, now, I love competition. I'm all for it. Um, but I actually think that's why I love the strategy that we set out of the gates and that we just didn't want to be a CBD brand. That's not really who we are. CBD is a component. It's a great ingredient, but I have a lot of great ingredients and we really had to have a strong differentiator in this field. And I do believe uh, one of the things that has allowed Kanuka to have the success that we have had is yes, we were early. I'm biased. I think our branding is really good, but ultimately we have an effective product that's based off more than just one ingredient. And I think that that Manuka honey is a, is a great, secondary pillar but again we have more ingredients than just those two as well okay cool and then the third thing um that i thought was so interesting is that you uh were patient in the process of building the brand because i hardly ever see patients these days and you said that you went around to beauty experts beauty buyers and said i'm not selling you something i just want your opinion um that's so refreshing and i'm really glad that you mentioned that because i think a lot of founders and um or entrepreneurs to be um, could could learn a lot from this. So, can you take walk us through the process of saying like, okay, let me just like slow the wheels and get feedback before I try any hard sells? Yeah, and I would say I'm going to give my parents a shout out because one of the things they've always told me, and I'm very very close with them. So this this feedback might be sound harsh to some people, but they've always told me whether it was sports or anything, there's always someone working harder. And probably better than you in, in all aspects. So if you're, if you think you're the best, or if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Um, so there really wasn't an ego 
and that it had to be like my formula or it had to be my specific idea. The ego was like ultimately get to the win. How do we get this brand to market, um, scale the heck out of it, increase demand for this ingredient so then we can ultimately create new, new farming opportunities and new opportunities starting with the farming community up through the vertical. So that's my win. How do I get to that goal? Um, you know, and then going back, you know, kind of get sideways or you know, on some of these questions, but you know, one of the things that I've learned is my beauty routine growing up, Jody was a bar of uh, dial soap. And I think I told you it's bar of dial soap, dial soap and maybe one of those big pump bottles of Vaseline lotion or di whatever lotion sometimes. So my, uh, I started at, zero on my knowledge in the beauty space. So the fact I'm on where brains meets beauty right now is, it's a, uh, it's pretty amazing because I never in a million years would have thought that would have happened. Um, but ultimately you learn from people smarter than you. I'm a big believer in that. So um, instead of trying me trying to figure it out, why don't I just go build a relationship and ask people that I really respect and that have been in the space way longer than me. You, because you know, you get experience two ways. You either put the years in that it takes to get the experience or you find someone that has already put the legwork in and learned from. And that's the, that's the route that, you know, I decided to take and, you know, I really learned from a lot of people, but it was that one specific meeting at the detox market that really changed my perspective, you know, and it, they really were very great with me and gave me a huge list of things that I could improve on and, and took away. So, so yeah. Uh, you know, it takes uh, a certain type of personality to be able to um, accept and take in criticism, right? Not everybody is um, talented in accepting that. So it sounds like you went into these meetings really with a very open mind and a desire to learn. Um, what makes you somebody that doesn't take that feedback and criticism personally? Um, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. I would say... It's, I've not always been like that. You know, I think growing up, you know, you'd get really hard headed and you'd be, you get angry about the constructive feedback, but ultimately as I've gotten older, you, you learn nothing comes easy. And if it does come easy, you're, it's a one in a million chance. And it takes a lot of hard, hard work. So the more open-minded you can be, the better, in my opinion. Um, and I, and I think, you know, I've, I've learned, I don't, I don't get discouraged on the word no. Um, Kelly, my wife would tell you that, like, <laughs> no, not now. That's what I hear. No, what needs to change? Um, it takes several no's before I actually stop. And I don't know if I really ever stop. So uh, you just have to be kind of fixed in and realize, you know, for me, it's, it's nothing personal, right? You either have a good brand or you don't. You either have a good product or you don't. And if you don't, learn from it and adapt or, you know, it's going to fail and start over and build again. <laughs> So um, with our remaining time, I want to talk about um, how a small business based in Mechanicsburg, Ohio, can lift um, rural America up. So I know this is step by step, little by little, but, um, you know, what can you do or what are you doing right now that is putting this vision into practice? Well, it's multiple steps. I would say it's like a 10, a 10 point step and we're still maybe at one and a half right now, truly, maybe at two, maybe I'll give myself a little credit, maybe we're at step two, but ultimately it's a slow grind. This isn't the get quick, rich, rich, get rich, quick scheme, excuse me. Um, it takes a lot of time to educate the, you know, the, the people on what cannabis is. Now I think, I think we're doing that. I think we're at stage, we're pretty far into that process, but ultimately we need the different states by states to create, um, 
you know, different laws that allow the farmer to cultivate industrial hemp. Ohio just passed this this past year, but ultimately the vision is, you know, starting with Kanuka, and then it could be a number of brands within this category, uh, get them out there, scale them, increase demand for this ingredient. From there, we'll need more supply to help drive that cost down. So we'll need more people to grow it. Uh, and ultimately, I think the, the idea is, and I think what we're seeing because of COVID, I think that you're going to see a lot more people trying to source from America, trying to do different things here locally, because it's tough to try to build something when, you know, you're sourcing a component from a number of different countries and all of a sudden tariffs hit or whatever happens, COVID hits. Um, so I think what we try to do is increase demand, build a model that's that we can replicate. And what we've done is we've actually partnered with a fantastic hemp farm in Prospect, Maine, uh, called Prospect Farms. So now we source directly from them for our CBD and we're using them as a model to really understand exactly what we need to do to, to really create that perfect, in our opinion, CBD for our, for our product. And then ultimately take that template and then bring it to our local community here in Ohio. So that's our goal for 2021 is to kind of bring that first Mechanicsburg farm and then continue just to do that in different cities, different towns across America, starting here locally, but then build out. And if you build that right, um, you know, market, you know, if, if we can create enough brands where I can, you know, go to a farmer and say, hey, you have five acres. If you follow this plan, I will give you your first PO for, for your product. So that allows them to have less risk to, to take that chance to put that land to work. And that's ultimately what I want to do is be able to one by one continue to go to different local farmers and say, hey, here's your first PO in advance. Look, follow this template. I will help. But ultimately, let's get that land back to work for you. And I think we can replicate that, you know, across the country over over time. And how much time, Michael, do you need to spend at, like, the state capitol talking to lawmakers to be able to um, move this forward in Ohio? Well, fortunately, it is it is done in Ohio. So we're able to cultivate it in Ohio now. Um, I don't have the answer because that was never – that was really never an option for me. You know, I, I really looked at this – as an opportunity. So you can be that more of the activist to go talk uh, to your local community and congressman, congressperson. Uh, but we already had a lot of people doing that. And I really felt my calling was on the brand side, on the, on the business side. So if we have good people doing it, you know, on more the, the activism side, having the conversation, and then you're, you're creating brands at the same time that are educating people and building demand, there's going to be that moment where they, they connect, where then the law, the lawmaker will, hopefully change the law so then we can, you know, put people back to work ultimately. And I think that's exactly what happened in Ohio. And um, through this process, have you met other types of um, entrepreneurs out of beauty who would use the other parts of the plant in their, you know, are there other, I guess, industries like fashion or I don't know, something else where, you know, they're kind of on the same path as you using different parts of the plant with the, the goal of creating new work um, for farms? I've not found a lot of people that have the exact same background on the farming side, but I have found um, of several brands that are being innovative on the different uses of, of the industrial hemp. So the fiber can be used, you know, and for fabric in a, in the clothing industry, but where I really see it going in the beauty space is more on the sustainable packaging route. So I would love to ultimately one day, once the infrastructure is in place, all of our secondary packaging, the boxes, we use industrial hemp. We use a hemp-based paper. 
Uh, same with the plastics. It's not there yet, but it, the technology is getting closer where people will start to be able to use this kind of biodegradable plant-based plastic as well. So I think that ultimately, once the technology is there, that's the bigger, the bigger play. Kanuka is really step one, really a high-level introduction of what this plant is. And from there, you know, you can take it thousands of different ways and the number of products that you can use with industrial hemp. Michael, I love this conversation. I'm so grateful that you shared your wisdom. I have, I feel like I have uh, additional reading I want to do in this on this category of industrial hemp, so I can be more informed um, about the history of it and what's happening now. So, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our listeners today. I enjoyed every second of it. Thanks so much, Jody. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoy this interview with Michael. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes, and for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.